morning. Good morning. If you like, you can go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We'll be spending pretty much all of our time this morning in Titus chapter 1 and Titus chapter 2. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be able to worship God with each of you, to partake of the Lord's Supper as we've as we just done, to remember the, the death of our, of our Savior and, and of our Lord and what that means for us. <clears throat> We're going to talk this morning some about what that means for us, what, what it means, what it should mean in our lives, what our lives should look like because of the fact that Christ came and he died for us. And just so we have that in our minds as we're beginning, I want to read actually the last section that we're going to look at this morning. Um, we'll read it here at the beginning and then we'll hit it again at the end. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. There Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So the, you see in that verse 11 there, it begins with the word for. For the grace of God has appeared. And that's referring back to everything Paul has just talked about in chapter 2 and in chapter 1 as well. And so the things we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to be looking at, at roles that we, each of us are to fit into. The reason that we are to fit into those roles, the reason that we should rejoice and, and find joy in those roles is because... The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So just keep that in your mind as we're studying God's word this morning. So, so that was the, the that's the final section we're going to look at as well. So let, let, let's back up. Let's let's go back to, to Titus chapter one. And and what what we need to keep in mind this morning is the idea that God is a God of order. We see that from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, when we see how he created this world, we see the order that he structured the world with, um, and how perfect, and how right, and how righteous that order was. But he didn't just stop there, he has left patterns for us to follow as well, so that our lives are rightly ordered, just as this world was rightly ordered in the beginning. He's created roles that each of us should work to fit into. Because when we fit into the roles that he created us for, then we can be proper instruments of his righteousness, as is discussed in Romans chapter 6. And God can then use us as instruments or as tools to continue his righteous work in this world. And so this morning we're going to, to look at a passage that defines roles for each and every one of us. We're going to discuss what those roles look like, and we'll see how those roles complement each other and lead to the proper functioning of the local church. So, we're in Titus chapter 1. Let's, let's look in verse 5. Here Paul writes to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So that, uh, that, 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 that first line there, that you may, would set in order what remains. Uh, I think the, the New King James and maybe some other versions uh, renders that, that, that you would set in order the things that are lacking. And so in this letter, in the letter to Titus, Paul is going to address various things that, that were lacking at the churches on the island of Crete. And, and Paul is very concerned that these things be set in order, uh, and Titus is going to be the, the one to help do that. 
So the, the very first thing that Paul addresses, the, right out of the gates here, where he's setting in order uh, what remains. The first thing that he wants done in order to, to so that things will be set in order is that he wants elders to be appointed in every church there on the island of Crete. That's the first thing that is lacking, the first thing that must be set in order. So uh, the, the fact that there were local churches on Crete that did not have elders was a problem that Paul wanted fixed immediately. It's the first thing he addresses in his letter. And that's because this is an integral part of the order that is established in the local church. Elders to shepherd the flock. So it's the first thing that Paul addresses here in his letter to Titus. Um, and, and then he, he, give, he then gives, beginning in verse 6, uh, a list of characteristics of the men who are to serve, who, who could serve as elders. So we'll read that quickly here. This, this, this sermon is not a sermon on all the qualifications of elders, but let's just read the, these together. Beginning in Titus chapter 1, verse 6. Um, we'll back up. That you would set over what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Verse 6. Namely, if, a, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Those who contradict. So there are a, a few characteristics in, in this, this list here, verses 6 through 9, that, that a person may not have a whole lot of control over, necessarily. So it is the, the, those who are to be elders are to be men. They're to be older men, the word elder. So they're to be older men. Uh, and to meet some of the requirements, they, they must be married and they must have children. And, and so those, those characteristics, there are things involved in that that are not always under your control. I can't control how old I am. You know, th things like that. So there, there are some of these characteristics that are, to some extent, not under your control. Um, however, look at the rest of the characteristics. So t taking away anything that, you know, age, gender, uh, marital status, things like that. Ignoring that, the rest of the characteristics in these lists are there any that should not be true of anyone who is a child of God? I mean, you look, um, above reproach, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, hospitable, loving what is good, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. Would, would we argue that any of these things, that, you know, if I'm, if I'm not a man, or if I'm not an older man, well, I don't have to worry about that, because I can't be an elder anyways, because I'm not a man, or I'm not an older man. Would we, would we argue that about anything in, these, in this list? I don't think that we would. So these things are, are characteristics that we should all be growing in. That ultimately, these, all these characteristics should be able to describe any of us. And so as we're reading this, um, especially for, for, for men who are reading this who could be elders one day, be growing in these things. It's not the fact that you reach a certain age and it's like, oh, I better turn it on and I better you know, be able to fit all these characteristics. These are things we should be growing in so that we can be elders. Because we, we, we read that it is something that is lacking when there is not when there are not elders to shepherd a local church. So if we're looking at these characteristics and, and some of them don't really describe you where you are right now, then work on that. 
Pray to God for help in that area of your life. Listen to him in his word as he molds you and as he shapes you. Find a, a brother in Christ who is strong in an area that you're weak and talk with them. Learn from them. These things are not things that are optional just because they're included in the list of, of characteristics of elders. These are things that every Christian should be growing in. So we see Paul is very concerned about establishing elders here in the local churches, but why is that the case? Why, why is he so concerned about this? This is the first thing he addresses. Look verse 10 and 11. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Because there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, who are going to attempt to disrupt the church from within and from without. That's why, that, that is why Paul is so concerned with establishing elders. Um, he, he seems to be referring to Judaizing uh, teachers here, uh, and then he also kind of makes reference to the, the general culture on the island of Crete, which was, by, by Paul's account and also by secular accounts as well, the island of Crete was a horribly lawless and moral place. Uh, I, I think I heard it said that that you know to be a to, to, to be a highway robber was considered something honorable on the island of Crete. It was just a, a wicked, lawless place where these churches are established that Paul is is very concerned with that they need to have elders to help protect and shepherd the congregations there. So we see how vital it is that there be elders to shepherd the local church. And so we should all be working toward having men who are qualified to serve in that capacity. Paul moves on from elders uh, at the end of, or beginning in chapter 2. He moves on from elders, and, and, and in chapter 2, he's going to define roles for four different groups of people. He's going to address four, actually five, we're only going to look at four this morning, four different groups of people in, in Titus chapter 2. And, and these things that are discussed in Titus chapter 2 are things that these groups of people are, are to, their characteristics that, that each group of, of people should have. They're not optional. They're not things that, oh, that's not, yeah, I'll think about that, and maybe that's a good idea. Maybe that'll work for me. Maybe that won't work for me. That's not the case. These are, these are characteristics that each of us should have. And, and the different groups of people, just in case you, you were thinking you might be left out this morning, the four groups of people we're going to look at are older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. So I don't think you can be left out. In any of those groups. Wherever you may mentally find yourself, you're not going to be left out from any of these groups here in Titus chapter 2. Paul is going to define each of these roles, and we're going to see how we should be living to fit these roles, to fit into these roles that God has defined. So first, let's look at older men. Um, in verse 1, speaking to Titus, he says, But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. So the first of, of these characteristics here that Paul says older men are to be, <clears throat> older men are to be temperate. The idea here being sober, being vigilant, um, someone who is serious about the gospel, someone who is watchful in the midst of a wicked culture. They're, they're temperate, they're sober. And, and along with that, contains the idea of not being given over to alcohol. That's often how we use the word sober today. Um, not being given over to, to alcohol, to substances. And again, you think about the, the culture in Crete, that would have very much been a concern uh, there on the island of Crete. And so Paul says, you know, you older men, you're going to be temperate. 
You're being sober. You're being vigilant. He then says there to be dignified. Or remember to be dignified. And the idea that I get there is that you, you, are, you, you have risen above the filth of the world around you. You, you're, you don't look like the rest of, of the people around you who are participating in this debauchery and this wickedness. You're dignified. You're characterized by a certain, a certain propriety that can only be arrived at by drawing closer to God. Being dignified means you, you're honorable. You are worthy of respect. You're worthy of the respect that, that your age would seem to, to indicate you should have. You're worthy of that respect. You're not acting in a way that would bring shame on the name of Christ or of his church. Older men are to be temperate, they are to be dignified. Paul then, Paul then writes, they are to be sensible. And, and pay attention to that word sensible. It was mentioned in, in the list for elders. It's now mentioned here in the list for, for older men as well. They are to be sensible. And, and the idea here of being sensible is, <clears throat> as, as best I can understand, it's the idea of, of having self-control but not just self-control of you know the things that I do, what I use my body for, but it's the self-control of the mind as well, the self-control of the mind and of the emotions. And that having self-control of your mind and of your emotions, that that's, doesn't mean that you're someone who lacks emotion. Emotions are good, they're things that God gives us, but, but being sensible, being self-controlled, is you're someone who is in control of your emotions instead of being controlled by them. And being, have, being sensible also carries with it the idea of, of being of a sound mind. And so, okay, a sound mind, well, who defines what a sound mind is? What does that look like? As, as we mentioned at the beginning, God is the God of order. God is the one who is, who is defining these roles. So a sound mind is a mind that is sound uh, according to what God says is sound. Being sensible means having a mind that has been trained and shaped by God. So older men are, are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. <clears throat> and finally, he's, he's there to be sound. There to be sound in three things. There to be sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. And again, the, the word sound here has to do with the idea of being healthy, of being whole. So being healthy in faith, healthy in love, healthy in perseverance, not lacking in these attributes, not, not malnourished when it comes to faith, to hope, to love, and perseverance. So, so sensible, sound in faith. Uh, the older men should, should be examples of, of a faith-filled life. Of a faith-filled life. So I was asking you, what is your faith like? What is your faith in? Do you have faith that Jesus lived the perfect life? You know, we, uh, we, we sang the song before the Lord's Supper, uh, We Saw Thee Not. But that each verse ends with, but we believe, but we believe. Do you have faith? Do you believe that Jesus lived the perfect life? Do you have faith that he died for your sins? Do you have faith that he rose from the dead? Do you have faith that he's coming back? Do you have faith in these things? Do you believe them with all of your being to be true? If your answer is yes, then that faith should be evident in the life that you live. Because to truly have faith, to truly believe, means that everything about my life changes because of these things that I have faith in. So are you demonstrating this faith in your words? Are you demonstrating the, this faith in your actions, in your attitude? Are you growing your faith, even still? Even those who are older, are you still growing your faith? Are you making decisions based on, based on your faith and not on your own wants and desires? They are to be sound in faith, healthy in faith. They are to be sound in love. And, and, and 
I, I really like that Paul includes this includes this here in, in this list there to be sound in love because I think sometimes the idea of being of being loving can get left out when you start using words you know like temperate, dignified, sensible. The idea of being loving along with all that can sometimes get left out. At least that, that's kind of been, been my experience. Um, but Paul makes it clear that that's not to be the case. Older men are to be sound. They're to be healthy in love. They're to be examples of lives. They're to be examples of lives that are characterized by a love for God and a love for their brethren and a love for their fellow men. So temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in perseverance. Older men are men who have been through tough times in their lives, spiritually challenging times, but they have persevered through the grace of God. And they've grown in him through those situations. And they are now in a position to share their experiences and their growth with the younger men as well. So this is what Paul is concerned about uh, on, on the island of Crete here. That, that the older men might be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. He now turns his attention in verse 3 to the older women. We'll read this. Uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved much more, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women. And we'll, we'll, we'll pause there. So the, the older women are, are to be reverent in their behavior is the first thing that Paul addresses. They're to be reverent in their behavior. They are to show God to be holy by their behavior. The, the idea here is that your real life Everything about your life is characterized by reverence. The choices that you make, the attitude that you convey, they're all shaped by a reverence toward God. And, and the next two things that Paul is going to address are, are things that really fit under this umbrella of having a, a life that is characterized by reverence toward God. The next thing that, that he addresses is he says, not malicious gossips. And this is something that we, we covered a couple of Wednesday nights ago. And so we won't go into detail again tonight, this morning, but here Paul is telling Titus to specifically instruct the older women to not participate in this kind of behavior. If you're going to have a life that is characterized by reverence, you're not going to be a malicious gossip. And then the next thing that he addresses is he says uh, there in verse 3, nor enslaved to much wine. Older women are not to be people who, who, are, who are drunk, who are controlled by alcohol. And I want, you, I want us to stop and think for a moment. Why, why is Paul telling Titus to instruct the older women to not participate in these two specific things? Like of all the things to, to address, why are these two things that, that Paul is addressing? Part of it is probably because, if I had to guess, there was some issues with this on the island of Crete. Um, and so these are specific things that at the church there that Paul want, wanted to be addressed. But I think also, you know, think about these two things about being, uh, participating in malicious gossip, uh, being enslaved to wine. Um, these are things that the older women probably would have been participating in when they had nothing better to do with their time. When they had nothing better to do with their time. They, they would not have had young children of their own to raise at this point. So it seems as if they, they could have been just sitting around talking about other people and getting drunk. And Paul says that's not how they are to spend their time. That is not showing reverence toward God and their behavior. What are they to do instead? If this is what they're not to do, what are they to do instead? End of verse 3, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women. That is how the older women should be spending their time. 
They should be teaching what is good and encouraging the younger women. The good work that older women are participating in is teaching this what is good, what is noble, what is honorable. And this is one of the main roles that they are to fill within a local church. The older women should be able to take their experience, their, their mistakes, their triumphs, and help train and teach the younger women. And, and this, is, this is such an important role. It is a God-given role. It, it was so important that, that Paul made very clear to discuss it here with Titus. This is a God-given role. And, the, and again, again, remember, the things that are discussed here in Titus chapter 2 for every group of people we're going to look at are not suggestions. These are the roles that God expects each of us to fill within the local church, depending on where we are in our lives. But why is this such an important role? Why is it so important that the older women teach what is good and encourage the young women? I think because us younger folk need to be, with the younger people, we need to be taught. That there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we haven't yet experienced. And the, old, the older women should be at a point in their life where they have the time, they have the experience, they have the wisdom to guide and shape a younger generation of Christian women. That, that, that is what is expected. And we're, we're about to, or not we, Paul is about to swap now to addressing the younger women and then the younger men, but I just want to take a moment to, to, to note and, and really emphasize how beneficial it is for older and wiser Christians to share their knowledge and the wisdom that they've obtained. To, to pull a younger Christian aside and say, hey, you know, we've, we've been there before. <coughs> Sit, you know, stay strong. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Or, hey, we've been here before. This is what worked for us. You know, hey, I, I, see what you're do- I, I see what you're doing here. You know, we tried that too at one point. Here's why it really didn't work for us, but here's what we learned was a better option. You know, the, 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 these are things that are, are integral to the proper functioning of a local church and to the proper growth of all of its members. Those of you who are older, you've had more, you've simply had more time to study God's Word. You've had more opportunities to learn from others. You all have come across, you know, a wider variety of perspectives. You yourself have probably held different perspectives at different points in your life. Please don't hoard that, that wealth of knowledge. Don't denigrate yourself. Don't think poorly of yourself like you have nothing to share. Because I'm quite sure that you do. And so please share that knowledge. Share that wisdom, that experience with us younger Christians. The older Christians teaching what is good is essential to the proper working of the local church. Paul then then switches his uh, his attention now, and he's going to focus on the younger Christians. And first he addresses the younger women because it's so closely tied with with the older women as well. So the older women are to teach what is good, Titus chapter 2, verse 4, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. From a, a you know ten thousand foot view, when we read here that the role of the young women is to learn and to put into practice, they're to learn from the older women and put in practice what they are learning. And we're going to get into specifics here, but that is the high level view. And the first thing that Paul says they are to, to learn to do is to love their husbands. And I don't know, maybe when you read this, you had a similar thought. Kind of the, the just the question might. Why is this something that they have to be taught? Why, why do they have to be taught to love their husbands? 
uh, you know, kind of seems like if you're already going to be loving your husband if you've married him, right? I think there are probably a few reasons why, why this is something that Paul says needs to be taught. Um, and it's probably a combination of these things. One is that, you know, today in, in American culture, generally, you, the, per, the people who are getting married choose to marry that person, right? Uh, Mary Catherine and I chose to marry each other. Uh, our parents didn't arrange that or anything like that. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the case back then. You didn't always have a choice who you married back then, so you would have to learn to love them. I think another reason why this is something that has to be taught is that, and this is true even today, that even though if we marry, even if we marry for love, we don't truly understand all the nuances, all the depth of what it means to love someone the moment that we say, I do. And so younger women are to grow in their love for their husbands, and older women should help them learn how to do this in a biblical way. And, and, and third and finally, another reason why this is something that needs to be taught is that sometimes husbands can be very difficult to love. And, and that, but that does not change the fact that their wives are to love them. It's expected by God that wives love their husbands. That's part of their role, and it doesn't matter if the husband is difficult to love. And, and having said that, it is the responsibility of the husband to not be difficult to love. Paul doesn't address that directly in Titus chapter 2, but he does address it in, in another letter. You know, go, go read what he has to say to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5. Go read what Peter has to say to husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3. It is imperative that husbands love their wives and honor them as Christ does the church. But it is of equal importance that wives learn to love their husbands. Because in doing that, they give no opportunity for the word of God to be dishonored. As you see in verse 5 of Titus chapter 2. The young women are, are to learn to love their children. This is part of the God-given role of, of young women. They're to love their children, and again, the older women are to teach and encourage them in that. Again, kind of the question, why does this have to be taught? I, I don't have experience with, with children. Mary Catherine doesn't have experience raising children, but I would assume it's because the ins and outs of this don't all come natural. Biblical love is something that involves action. You know, if you think about John 3.16, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God did something because of his love for the world. And so the ultimate love that a mother can show to their children is to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And from my, from my limited observations, this takes work. This takes effort. This takes, this takes being intentional. And so young, younger women are to learn from the older women what it means to love their children in a godly way what that practically looks like as they love their children and raise them to be godly. The next thing Paul has to say is to be sensible. And this is the same thing that was mentioned to the elders. This is the same thing that was mentioned to the older men, is that the younger women and the older women, because remember, the older women are being examples in all of these things, but the older and younger women are to be sensible, of sound mind, having a healthy, a whole mind, a mind that is trained and shaped by God. This is expected of older and younger women. They are to be pure, he says there in verse 5. It, you know, you think about what it means to be pure. If, if, you have, if I have a, a, a hunk of rock and we say that it's pure gold, that means that there is no other element in that rock. There is no other contaminant in that rock besides gold. No contaminants. That's what purity is. Young, younger women are to learn to be pure, to be innocent. And then he says to be workers at home there in verse 5. 
the, the young woman, the young wife has been blessed, has been blessed with the God-given role of running the home. It is her responsibility to care for her children, to love them, and to nurture them. And, and you know, this, this role, this role is mocked in the world, and even sometimes in the church, unfortunately. Women, women are looked down upon for choosing to work in the home and to care for the home. But what we need to understand is that God does not share that same derision from this Bible world. In fact, God, God, is, God is pleased and God is glorified when a young woman makes hard choices in her life so that she can care for her home and fill the role that God designed. It, it is a glorious thing to fill the role that our Creator made for us. Where whatever role that is for you, it is a glorious thing to fill that role. And so don't listen to anyone outside the church or don't listen to anyone inside the church who would tell you otherwise. And again, a note to husbands within this point. Let's encourage our wives in this. Let's work to make it easier for them to fill their role. Children aren't going to naturally grow up to be God-fearing people. The home isn't naturally going to take care of itself. This role is a vital role so that the home functions the way that God designed it to function. And so let's support our wives in this as they work to fill this role that God has ordained for them. Paul then tells Titus to instruct the younger women to, to be kind. And this could just be a general reminder to be kind. That would certainly be biblical. Um, it is interesting, though, that this reminder, this, this instruction, is right in the middle of a, a, bunch of, a bunch of commands about how the young women are to fill their role within the home. And so I think it's quite possible that this is a specific reminder to fill that role in the home with kindness, in a kind manner. Don't do it begrudgingly or bitterly be kind as you accomplish the work that God has set out for you to, to accomplish in your home. And finally, Paul encourages the, the older women to encourage the younger women to be subject to their husbands. You know, this whole chapter is about roles. And some of the first roles that God established in this world were those of the husband and the wife in Genesis chapter 2. The husband, the husband is to be the leader of the household, imitating Christ. The wives are to submit to the husband as the church does to Christ. And again, this is not a marriage sermon, so we won't really get into this anymore today, but Paul reminds the young women of this. He, then, he now switches gears and focuses on the last group here, the younger men. In verse 6, he says, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. To be sensible. So now, if you've been keeping track, everyone has now been told to be sensible. Elders are to be sensible, older men... Older women, younger women, younger men are all to all be sensible. They're all to display uh, this, this sound, healthy mind that has been trained and shaped by God. We, we are to make God's ways our ways and his thoughts our thoughts, as we are invited to do in Isaiah 55. Then in verse, in verse 7, it seems like Paul or it doesn't seem like he does. Paul switches to talk to Titus. In verse 7, so verse 6 was to young men. Now verse 7, in all things show yourself, he's writing to Titus, show yourself, Titus, to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And so you could read this, you could read this instruction to Titus as a completely separate section from his instruction to the young men. And that would mean that the only instruction given to young men is to be sensible. I don't know, maybe you'd argue that Paul knew he needed to set the bar really low for the young men, so we'll start with being sensible and we'll move on from there. 
maybe, maybe there's a better interpretation than that, though. Because we see that Titus is to be an example, and he's to show himself to be an example in these things. And, and to me, finding these instructions to Titus to be an example right in the middle, or right after he's just started talking to the young men, to me that implies that the things that Titus, that, or that Titus is to be an example to the young men in these things. Just as the older women were to be examples to the younger women in those things, Titus is to be an example to the younger men. And so what, is, what, what are the younger men supposed to be seeing in Titus and, and emulating from Titus? An example of good deeds is the first thing that Paul mentions. An example of good deeds. Younger men are to participate in good deeds. And, you know, within the family of God, there's a lot of work that needs to be done as we look after each other, as we care for each other. The younger men are to participate in this work. And this could look like a number of things. Maybe sometimes this is physical labor for a brother or for a sister. Younger men are probably some of the most capable people in the congregation of, of, addressing, whatever, of, of addressing that kind of a need. Maybe it's taking your family and, and sitting with an older member of the congregation. And, and, and spending time with the older members of the congregation and being an example to your family in that regard. Maybe it's going and it's serving in your community. And, and by doing that, demonstrating the love of Christ and finding opportunities to talk to others about his love. There are, are numerous ways that younger men can and should be participating in good deeds. So as younger men, we need to be involved and we need to be engaged in the lives of our, of our brothers and sisters. And we need to be looking for opportunities to participate in good deeds. We need to make time in our lives to participate in good deeds. We don't need to get caught up in getting the next promotion at work. We don't need to get caught up in our hobbies. We need to get caught up in the work that God has set out for us. The next thing that Paul addresses to Titus, and it needs to be an example, and I think to the younger men, is purity and doctrine. Example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. We've talked about purity already, uh, just generally. It's the idea of, of the absence of contaminants. And so the idea of being pure in doctrine, having purity in doctrine, younger men should be working to have an understanding of God's word that is devoid of any impurities. They're going to work to keep their own impulses, their own half-baked ideas from polluting the doctrine of God. And this is important if they are to be the head of the house, if they are to be growing to be these older men. It, it is vital, it is important that, that younger men be growing in doctrine, be, be seeking purity in doctrine. They are to be dignified. We've seen this word used already with the older men, but the idea of being dignified, it, that's not often an idea that you find associated with younger men. But it should be able to be used of young men in God's family. We are to be dignified. You know, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes to Timothy, who was a young man at that point, and, and tells him, you know, let no one disregard you for your youth. Let no one despise you. Uh, let no one despise you for your youth there in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. <clears throat> That instruction to Timothy was an instruction was instruction to Timothy. It was not instruction to the other people who might despise him for his youth. It was instruction to Timothy. Timothy 
was to not let anyone despise him for his youth. And that doesn't mean Timothy was supposed to go around and shake his fist in people's face and say, don't you despise me for my youth. No, what Paul's instructing Timothy there is he says, you don't act in such a way that people can despise you for your youth. You, you conduct yourself there in, you, with, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself as an example. This is an instruction to Timothy that he is to act in a dignified manner. He should not act in such a way that people can despise him for his youth. And so we young men are to be dignified in how we conduct ourselves. And we should not bring dishonor on the name of God by the way that we act. Paul then says to Titus to be an example of, sound, uh, of what is sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. And I think that this is somewhat similar to the idea of being dignified. You know, that being dignified has to do with how we act, how we carry ourselves. Being sound in speech has to do with how we speak and how we communicate. Our speech should be sound. We've seen that word several times now. So our speech should be sound, wholesome, healthy. We, we should give no one an opportunity to speak poorly of us or to speak poorly of the church or of our God for something that we say or, or by how we say something. We shouldn't run our mouths. We shouldn't speak without thinking. You know, my, my, something that my, my dad told me some growing up is that, you know, you need to try, try to live in such a way that you don't have to apologize. And, and the instruction was not, don't apologize. The instruction was live in such a way so that you don't have to apologize, that you don't put yourself in a situation where you have to then go back and say, you, you know what, I was, I was wrong for that. I'm sorry for that, and I hope you'll forgive me for that. And that's not, not, that, that's not because for any prideful reason or anything like that, but we don't want to apologize. Right? We don't want to do something. We don't want to sin against someone or hurt someone so that we have to then go apologize for them. So this, this idea of being dignified and being sound in speech, I want to do something, I want to say something that I later have to go back and apologize for. And I think when, when we're looking at this, this list here uh, in the context of, of younger men, um, I think we just see how if the younger men are growing in these things, then they're being prepared to one day be the older men from, from verse 2, and even the elders that we read of in verse 1. If the younger men are, are mastering these things that Titus is to be an example of, then they're going to be that much closer to being the older men and the elders one day in the local church. <clears throat> we talked um, in between older women and younger women as we were kind of transitioning there to the younger age groups. We talked about how it was, how it is the responsibility of the older men and the older women to teach the younger. But the flip side of that is that it's the responsibility of the younger men and the younger women to learn from the older, to be teachable by the older, to make it easier for them to teach us. You know, have you ever tried teaching someone before? Have you ever tried correcting someone before? It can be uncomfortable. And so younger, younger Christians, we should be humble and receptive to the teaching of older Christians. We should make it easier for them to fill their role by us being receptive when they try and help us. We need to recognize Godly wisdom even when it's not what we want to hear. Because at the end of the day, how I feel toward a message is not how I determine if it's wisdom or not. And on top of being receptive, I think we should be seeking out their wisdom. We should be willing to admit, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. We should, be, we should be willing to ask them how they handled certain situations with their families. 
ask for advice, humbly go to them and ask them if, from their experience, they see something in my life, they see something in my family's life that could cause trouble down the road. And again, be ready to listen to their response. I, I know that there are older Christians in this congregation who would be more than happy to encourage you as you're seeking to do what's best for you and for your family. And, and just recently, you know, Clay just wrapped up a, 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 sermon, a series of sermons on the family, uh, and he concluded it in his, final, in his final sermon, I believe it was, with an invitation to the younger couples to come and to talk with him and Sandra about their families. And, and I'm, I'm mentioning him because he mentioned it from the pulpit himself. So, I mean, take them up on that. To my knowledge, they're, they're currently four for four on raising godly children, as best I can tell. And, and they've offered. They would be great people to talk to to gain wisdom. Sandra, just this past Sunday, taught a class where she shared her knowledge on how to teach Bible classes to children. Use her as a resource as you grow in that. I, I, I know for certain that there are others here who would be happy to share their experiences as well. I, I simply pulled out Clay and Sandra because they publicly offered these things here recently. But I know that there are other older Christians here as well who would be very good to go and talk to and to gain wisdom, and they would be happy to do that. And so we should avail ourselves of those opportunities. In conclusion now, Let's again read Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is why we do this. This is why we, we conform ourselves to these roles. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good, for good deeds. This is part of our purification as a people for Christ's own possession, is that we work, we conform ourselves to these roles that God has laid out for us. Humans in general, and especially in this country, we don't like being told what to do or how to be. We don't like being told to conform to a certain role. But as Christians, we are called to be different than the world that we live in. And God has very clearly laid out roles that we are to conform ourselves to so that he is glorified by that. And so as we wrap this up, I just have a couple of questions for us to all consider. First, am I making choices in my life that allow me to fill my God-given role to the best of my ability? Because the things that we talked about again in this passage, again, they're not merely suggestions. The Christians on Crete were to order themselves in this way so that what was lacking might be set in order. And if I'm making choices in my life that keep me from filling the role that God has designed for me, then I need to reevaluate those choices. But the second question I want us to, to think about as, as we conclude and as we leave here today is this. What would a church look like? What would a church look like where everyone is properly and perfectly filling their appropriate role? Can you imagine how awesome that church would be? Can you imagine what that would look like? Where you have the older men who are temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance, being an example to, 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 the, to the younger men. Even before that, you have elders who are leading the congregation, who are shepherding the congregation. You have, younger, you have older women who have been there and they've done that 
and they have learned and they have grown and they are sharing that experience with the younger women. You have younger women who are receptive, who are, who are listening to the, the instruction and the wisdom that the older women are passing down and who are therefore devoted to the godly raising of their families. You have younger men who are of sound mind, who are looking for opportunities to serve and are devoted to the purity of God's word. You know, if you have all that, then you have children who are being raised to love God. You have brothers and sisters who are looking out for each other, as we're about to sing about. You have uh, brothers and sisters who are involved in each other's lives as they all strive to properly fill the role that God has ordained for them. What kind of an impact do you think a church like that could have in its community? What kind of an impact do you think a church like that could have on its own members? What do you think that God could do with a group like that? It's truly awesome to think about. And I think that we do a good job at these things. But I also would like to think and hope that every person in here has heard at least one thing this morning that they recognized, yeah, I need to conform my life a little bit more in that area. I need to let God shape me a little bit more in that area. So let's think about these things. And again, just think of that picture of what a church would look like where all of these roles are being filled perfectly and what God could do with a group like that. So my encouragement to, to all of us, again, I don't think anybody was left out today, is to get to it, is to fill the roles that God has given us and glorify him together. <clears throat> it is a, a, a wonderful thing to be a part of the family of God. It's a wonderful thing to, to be a part of a local church and to grow together and work together. If you haven't been baptized into the, the blood of Christ, if you haven't had your sins washed away, then you're not a part of that family. And, but I, there is no other family that would be better to be a part of. There, there's nowhere else where you can grow and become the kind of human that God created you to be. And so if you want that, if, if you want the, the peace and the joy that can come from, from living the life that God designed you to live, then, then what are you waiting for? You should be baptized, enter into that relationship with God, have your sins washed away, and then get to work with us as we're all working to grow in God. So if there's anything that we can do for you this morning, if there's any encouragement, if, if anything that we can do for you all, please let us know. You can come forward now if you like as we stand and as we sing. How sweet.